0: Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Have you ever noticed that people in the church often view things in one of two categories? I think we do this in a lot of different areas of life, but we often place many things in one of two different categories. Either it's Christian or it's secular. You ever been guilty of doing this? Perhaps you've heard this. Uh, Let me illustrate it. Uh, When it comes to movies and TVs, and TV shows, we can have Christian and secular, right? Uh, How about Facing the Giants? Anybody ever heard of it? Oh, Oh, yes, okay, Facing the Giants. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, I kind of like this movie, and why I have to preface that with I'm going to be honest is because it's one Christian movie that's really a subset of a lot of other Christian movies that are pretty famous for their corniness and bad acting. I see a lot of heads nodding, so you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, Facing the Giants, again, I I like it, but it's definitely a Christian movie. Uh, We have some better Christian movies out there, right? Like The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. It's a pretty good Christian movie, C.S. Lewis, Christian author. Some pretty good acting in that one. And it's not just movies, we do this with TV shows. Veggie Tales, a round of applause for Veggie Tales. There's a lot of kids TV shows out there, but Veggie Tales is like Christian kids TV, right? I didn't come to Jesus until I was 19, so unfortunately... I didn't have the privilege of, of watching VeggieTales growing up. Um, I'm gonna be honest one more time, I don't really like VeggieTales, okay? Um, and it's, not, it's nothing really against the show, um, but my name is Bob and I go on trips all the time and sunscreen does not work for me so I get burnt and I always get called Bob the Tomato. I don't like you, Bob, I'm sorry. I don't like it. What about books? You know, you've been to a a bookstore, no doubt you've been in the Christian book section. You've probably seen The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren, one of the best-selling books of all time, definitely a Christian book. If you're in the Christian book section, no doubt that you've seen Tim Tebow, books by Tim Tebow, about Tim Tebow, those will land in the Christian book section. What about stores and restaurants? Where's my Hobby Lobby people at? (laughs) All right, they're, they're closed on Sunday. They've got Bible verses throughout. Clearly, this is a Christian store. And when it comes to Christian restaurants, there's none better than Chick-fil-A, right? Yeah, I will, I will applaud Chick-fil-A. The Lord is in Chick-fil-A, we all know this. <laughs> Eat more chicken, I mean, they're, again, they're closed on Sundays. Everything that they do for you is their pleasure, right? I mean, oh, it's good stuff. What about dating, right? Those things were like, they're, they're things, but what about dating, right? We have Christian dating. It looks like two people who are clearly into one another, but they leave room for Jesus. <laughs> Christian dating. I, Christian. The whole idea of Christian dating really boggles my, I don't, I don't agree, with, I think there's wise dating and then there's foolish dating, personally, but we, we typically label, it's Christian dating. Uh, what about Christian mingle? Right, not like the, uh, this is a Christian dating website. If you're a Christian and you're interested in Christians, Christian Mingle. I intentionally put this picture up here. I'm just rounding out full circle because we started with movies. This is actually Christian Mingle the movie. Pause, I don't know if you've seen this on Netflix. This is a real thing. Um, I mentioned it at our Thursday night service, and I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be honest, I judged it just a little bit, and uh, someone texted me the next day and said, hey, we watched it last night. It wasn't that bad, okay? (laughs) So I'm not recommending it to you. I'm just telling you I've heard it's not that bad, See, I think we do this in a lot of different areas of life. We think in these categories of, of things that are Christian and things that are secular. But I would argue that when we do this, we often subtly conclude that that which is Christian is true. And there is truth in the Christian, but not so much in the secular. Well, my name is Bob Tim, sometimes Bob the Tomato, unfortunately. And I'm the lead student pastor here at Abundant Life, and I want to welcome you, whatever campus you're joining us on. If you're in Sandy or Vancouver here in Happy Valley, if you're watching online, listening to a podcast, uh, you've picked a fantastic day to be here because we are starting a brand new teaching series called Summer Playlist, Finding God in the Music Around Us. I would suggest that one of the biggest areas where we separate the Christian from the secular is probably music. And so throughout this series, we're gonna have different staff members preaching through one of their all-time favorite, secular songs. And you might say, secular songs, well, that's right. You see, in this series, we want to intentionally seek out God in secular music. We wanna seek out truth in secular music. And to illustrate this idea that we often exalt Christian Over secular, I think especially in music, I want to suggest that Christian music might not always be as deep as we think it is. And to illustrate this, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put a few different lyrics up on the screen. And I want you at all the campuses, all the locations, to determine are these Christian lyrics, Are you know what I'm saying, are these like deep, true Christian lyrics or are these simply secular love songs? You're gonna be the judge, okay? So the first lyric, let me put it up. Staring into your eyes makes my heart come alive. Suddenly brought to life when I met you. That's pretty good. Here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand, and, and you don't have to raise your hand. Uh, my personality, whenever I get in this situation, I have to raise my hand. It's like either... I raise it and I get it wrong and I'm humiliated or I get it right and I'm like puffed up. It's just not good for my personality. So you don't have to raise your hand, but talk to your neighbor, at least come up with what you think it is, okay? At all the campuses, if you think that this is a Christian song, go ahead, let me hear it, or I guess see it. Okay, good, we got a few. Uh, If you're like, clearly this is a secular love song, let's see the hands. All right, quite a few more. I don't know what it looks like at your campus, we've got quite a few more hands here. Uh, what do you think? Christian, Christian lyrics. This is a Christian song by the band Hillsong. It's actually their student's band, Hillsong Young and Free. All right, some of you are 0 for 1. That's okay. There's, you know, there's redemption here. We've got another, another song. I want to lay back against you and breathe. I want to feel your heartbeat. This love is so deep. It's more than I can stand. Who thinks it's Christian? Nobody, okay. Who thinks it's secular? Where am I secular? Clearly. All right, you guys are wrong, actually. This is Christian. This is Carrie Job. okay. She has a deep relationship with Jesus. That's all I can say from this, you know. All right, let's go again. Go again. And I never knew anything lasts forever till I found you. I never dreamed anything could be better till I found you. Who thinks it's Christian? And who thinks this one's gotta be secular, right? It's definitely Christian. This is my man, Phil Wickham. Oh, Phil Wickham, just between his songwriting and his voice. Oh, you gotta be with me on Phil Wickham. He's, he's pretty great. All right, we've got one more. We've got one more. I'm running to the secret place where you are, where you are. I sing to you of all the ways that you've stole my heart. You've stole my heart. Who thinks it's Christian? Some of you guys haven't caught on yet. <laughs> who, who thinks it's secular? No, no, no. This one is Chris. It's Phil Wickham again. It's Phil Wickham. I, there's just, I came to this conclusion recently. Again, I love Phil Wickham. He seriously is like one of my favorite artists But I I really genuinely think that either he's writing these songs to Jesus and then singing them to his wife also, or vice versa, because I'm like, these lyrics are just, they're too good. But you see, I think it is assumed that that which is Christian, in this case, Christian music, it's always filled with deep truth. And the secular, well, there is just no truth there. But here's the deal. Truth exists in the world, period. Truth is all around us. It is not contained in simply that which we have deemed to be Christian. It is all around us, and if something is true, all of the truth in the world belongs to Jesus. The reality is that Christian songs aren't always deep and spiritually true. But if we look closely into the secular, we might just find Jesus. And that is the purpose of this series, to find God in the music that is around us. So if you've got your journals, go ahead, get those. We're gonna be in week one. If you got a Bible with you, uh, go ahead, turn to John 13. And we're gonna move around quite a bit today. I'm gonna show you a bunch of different passages as we go through. Uh, don't feel like you have to turn to all of them, uh, but we're gonna land in John 13. So as we go, go ahead, get your spot there. If you're taking notes, the title of the song for today is called Swing Life Away. Swing Life Away, it's by a band uh, named Rise Against. And one of my personal Favorite bands. They are a punk rock band, but if you heard the song Swing Life Away, punk rock probably wasn't the category that you placed it in. Uh, they wrote that song specifically for an album called Punk Goes Acoustic. So it's one of their lighter songs. And here's the deal. I think there is incredible insight in this song on how we can and should live in response to who Jesus is. Though I'll admit, as long as I've known this song... I didn't really notice it. You see, because most often, we are not looking for God in the secular. But as we look at this song and unpack it, I think there is incredible insight on how we live in response to who Jesus is. So I've got time only for three lyrics. I wanna go through the whole song, but we've got time uh, to just go three lyri- through three lyrics. Um, and the first one comes just before the chorus. So three lyrics. Here's the first one. I'll show you mine, if you show me yours first. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> Who's showing who what? Right? I know that's what you're thinking right now. Wanted to kind of. Th- there's another part of this lyric. Okay, don't worry, it's coming. Uh, but here's the deal. I think. You know, as we alluded to in our last series, say what if you were a part of it? Uh, context is sometimes important, and we pull some, we pull verses out of Scripture sometimes, and it doesn't make sense or it sounds really inappropriate. Just wanted to throw back to our last series. Uh, context really key. Here's the next line. I'll show you mine if you show me yours first. Let's compare scars. It's talking about scars. I'll tell you whose is worse. That changes it a little bit. I think the writer of this song is pointing out a very common relationship barrier. I think this is how most people view relationships. Like I've got scars and I'm willing to share them with you. I'll show you them, but only if you show me yours first. I would argue that in order to experience deep community, In order to experience real, authentic community, we must share our scars with one another. We must be vulnerable and transparent. Sharing spiritual, emotional, physical scars, I would argue is absolutely needed if we're going to go deep in relationship with anybody. Because if you think about it, scars are a huge part of what make us us. If you would say that you know me But you don't know my scars. You don't know the ways in which I've been wounded and hurt. You don't know the difficulties that I've walked through. You don't know the tragic parts of my story. How well do you actually know me? They're a part of what make me me. Makes me think of Cars Two and Mater. You know, one of the characters. He's he's a truck, and he's got all these dents. And they try to give him a new body. They try to fix him, and he freaks out. He says, "You can't touch my dents." Like, you can't fix these. These are a huge part of what make me, me. I think it's the same thing with our scars. And if we're going to really know each other, then we must share these parts of our life. And I would say we desire to know each other, right? I mean, who doesn't want to know people? Who doesn't want community? God created us for community, I think we desire it, but we don't want to engage in these things, these sharing of scars, this vulnerability. We don't want to engage in that until the person that we're in relationship with has first engaged in that. And you show me yours, and then I'll show you mine. But if we follow that logic, well, neither one of us are ever going to actually experience community until one of us is brave enough to take that first step. Now let me, let me just make an aside here. I am not saying that you should be vulnerable and open and sharing your scars with everybody that you come into contact with. I think we can be very unhealthy on both sides of this. Some of us we never share, we never open up, we never go deep with anybody. And there are some of us who we overshare and we communicate too much of our scars all too often with too many people. I was at the Global Leadership Summit this past week and I heard Craig Rochelle talk about, you know this being over-vulnerable, you know sharing too much. And he basically said, "If it's a Monday morning and you're talking to one of your random coworkers about hemorrhoids, you're probably an oversharer." And, and so I think we can be on both of these sides. I am not encouraging us, hey, be open with every single person you come into contact with. What I am encouraging us to do is to determine the people in our life that we want to go deep with. Who in your life do you want real depth, real community? I'm challenging us to determine those people and then risk vulnerability with them. I'd say it's risky to be vulnerable. I think it's risky to apologize, right? It's it's a form of vulnerability. Because you don't know, think about it, you don't know how they're gonna respond. When you say I'm sorry to someone, you don't know, are they gonna accept my apology? Are they going to apologize in return, as we know they should? You don't know how that's gonna go. And we've all experienced the unreciprocated I'm sorry. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about, for sure. I'm sorry they don't, they say you should be, and (laughs) I'm not sorry anymore. I take it back, right? We've all done this. Well, here's the deal, I think it's risky to apologize. I think it's risky to be vulnerable in any sense of the word because it might not be reciprocated. It might be I'm gonna show you my scars and they might not return. But if you're willing to risk vulnerability, if you, you have in mind a relationship that yes, God is calling me deeper into that and you're saying I want to risk vulnerability, I would suggest this is what it looks like. It looks like I'm going to show you my scars and I hope you'll show me yours. It Looks like saying, I'm going to find the right time to open up with you and share with you a part of what makes me me. I'm gonna share this with you, and I'm gonna create a safe place where I, I hope that you would do so in return, and together we can go deeper in community. Church, I, I would challenge you, what relationship is God calling you to go deeper in? in? In what relationship have you settled for surface level? And God's saying, take that next step, I want it to go deeper. Sharing our scars, all types of scars, is a needed step if we're going to experience death. Well, there are two more lyrics that I wanna share with you. And I kind of course corrected on that first lyric, right? I I think the writer of the song was pointing out something that we do, like I'll show you my scars if you show me yours first. And I just tweaked it a little bit. These next two lyrics, I don't think they need to be tweaked. Both of them, I think, are jam-packed with truth and they come in the chorus. The next lyric is, we get by just fine here on minimum wage. Question for you. Um, if, if you were to look at your, your current situation, all right, your, your current budget, your current lifestyle, uh, could you say this statement? Could you make this claim? that we get by just fine here on minimum wage. If someone said, hey, you're going to be on minimum wage income moving forward, would that dramatically impact you? The writer of this song is singing about this idea of swinging life away. That's the title of the song, Swing Life Away. The first line of the chorus says, we live on front porches and swing life away. And I I don't know about you, I picture a literal porch, literal porch swing and just swinging life away It's very peaceful and tranquil. Got my book and my Starbucks and we are doing great. Like this, just swinging life away. We live on front porches and swing life away because we get by just fine here on minimum wage. I, I would suggest that some of us are not swinging life away Because we are not getting by just fine here on minimum wage. This statement would not be true of us. Robert Kiyosaki, he's an author. He's most famous for his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, If you're in business, no doubt you've heard of this book or or read this book. And in, in one of his other books, he talks about this cycle that he says most Americans find themselves in. You know, he, he, it ultimately leads to financial crisis, but he says, most Americans find themselves in this cycle in one way or another. So I took a chapter of his book where he describes this, and I simplified it and put it into five steps, and I want to see, do you identify with these steps? This is what he says, step one, we go to school, we graduate, and we find a job. So some way, in some way, you found a job. Whether you went to a college or a trade school or you just went right into work, it's some, some way that you found a job and you now have an income, right? And this is, this is great, you know, typically you got an income, maybe living at home, not very many expenses, it's a great place to be. But then, step two, we find an apartment, we buy some new things, maybe open a credit card, who knows, and then we start paying bills. And so we, we graduate, we got a job, and, and we're working, we have this income, and now we are going to meet our income with expenses. And we're gonna begin paying bills and buying new things and housing, all that. And so now our, whatever our income is, our expenses have met that. Well then, step three, something wonderful happens. We fall in love, we get married, and this is great. Now we have two incomes and only one housing cost. This is a great season, Right? Two incomes, our income has just went way up, and our expenses are still way down here. It's a great place. Uh, I learned a word this, this week. I had never heard this word before. Maybe you have. The word is a dink. Some, oh, yes, okay, okay. D I N K, dink. Never heard this before. Um, I realized I am one. This is weird. Um, dual income, no kids. It's a pretty good season of life, right? Dual income. No kids. We have two incomes, one housing cost. Interesting. But then what do we do? Step four. We can afford our dream home. We upgrade and get into the biggest and the best, and it comes with all the toppings. This is my phrase, all the toppings. I summarized what he was saying, but I'm pretty proud of that. With all the toppings, no money down, low monthly payments, we get the furniture, we get the the renovations, all of it, because we can afford it, no money down, low monthly payments, and what have we just done? Our income was here, our expenses were here, and we say, I'm gonna go ahead and meet my income with my expenses, and then he argues step five what happens is when we are maxed out, then children start to come. Now, there's, there's really one point he's trying to make here. In, the, in this whole chapter, he's just really trying to say one thing, and that is the more money we make, the more money we spend. And he suggests it doesn't matter what your income is, no matter, no matter how high or small, that whatever it is, whatever we make, we will spend and he says this leads us into financial crisis. Now, quick aside, because there are some people who are in financial crisis and they did not participate in this cycle. They did not make the decisions that he's describing. There are some people who are in financial crisis uh, because of a medical emergency, you know, because of a, a giant insurance issue, uh, because of a lawsuit. I mean, there there are plenty of reasons that we can get into financial crisis due to no fault of our own. What he's describing is choices that we intentionally make that have consequences, that put us into this cycle where eventually it feels like there's no going back. Eventually we get to a point where a career change or quitting or even just stepping back a bit seem impossible. There is no, we get by just fine here on minimum wage. Now... As, as a student pastor, I, I do think this is changing a bit. Yeah, I work with students a lot, so I think I can say with a little confidence that the next generation just doesn't seem to be interested in having a ton of money. You know, I, was, I was recently hanging out with a student, and I'm hearing this, you know, this same thing that I'm hearing a lot, and this is, this is what he said to me. We're talking about his future and jobs and money. He just graduated high school. He's getting ready to go off to school, and he goes, I just wanna make enough money to be stable, but then also have a little bit of money to have fun every once in a while. It's like, just, I just want the basics. And then like, I wanna have a little fun, sure, but just the basics. The next generation seems more interested in doing something that they enjoy rather than making a ton of money. I think this lifestyle of minimalism and, and tiny houses is becoming pretty big. Granted, I do now live in the Pacific Northwest, so maybe I've just drank the Pacific Northwest juice. I don't know. But I hear this attitude all the time. And I think there is incredible wisdom in this idea that no matter how much money I make, I'm going to live off a minimum wage income or as close as I can to it. As my income increases and progresses, my expenses don't necessarily need to. This is simply the idea of contentment. And this idea of contentment comes up in the New Testament over and over and over. I just want to show you three verses from three different people to show you this is thematic in the New Testament, that we are commanded to be content. The writer of Hebrews says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. As your income increases, your expenses don't necessarily need to. And Paul puts it this way to Timothy, someone that he's mentoring and discipling, and he, he challenges him, godliness with contentment. It's great gain because we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. If we have just food and clothing, we'll be content with that. If we get by just fine here on minimum wage, we'll be content with that. The last one I wanna show you is Jesus himself. He's speaking to a crowd and he's about to tell them the parable of the rich fool, uh, the one that tears down his barns just so he can build up bigger barns. But before he says that, he says this, watch out, Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. How often do we seek possessions to satisfy us, to give us life? And he's saying, no, be content. For some of us, maybe we haven't been content in a long time. You know, content is not the word that we would describe ourselves with. Maybe we are deep in that cycle that I described, and you could say, it is my fault. You know, I have willingly made choices and decisions that have put myself in this position. I'm discontent. I'd argue sometimes it's hard to see discontentment in the mirror. It's not like some other things that are, that are easy to see. I think discontentment is hard to point out in ourselves. It's hard to say, oh yeah, I'm clearly discontent. A question I'd ask you uh, to to probe deeper is how much of your income is spent on you? You know, if you were to look at your income and your expenses, what percentage of that is spent on you? If you'd say it's 100%, I would say chances are you're probably not content. Robert Kiyosaki in his book, as he progresses through this idea, these steps that we walk through, he says that if, if you've been in this for too long, and he says a lot of people have, for most of them, it's too late. There's no going back. And, and maybe you are in financial crisis and that's what it feels like to you. There's no going back, there's no getting out of this. And I, I know the, the hurt and, and the fear that can be in that. I would say with Jesus, it is never too late. That Jesus is the author of redemption and if he can work on your heart, if you would pray for contentment, if Jesus can change your heart, it is never too late in anything, and if we can get to this point where where we're just swinging life away, this beautiful picture, swinging life away, just fine here on minimum wage, then it frees us to do what I think is the most powerful line in the song. Our last one, it's this. If love is a labor, I'll slave till the end. I started playing guitar when I was 15 and I I took up guitar for what I think is the same reason as every other 15-year-old boy. I was really interested in the deep complexities and I really wanted to get a girlfriend, you know? (laughs) So, let's be serious. So I, I just noticed this correlation in high school between guys who played the guitar and had girlfriends And so I just said, if I want to get a a girlfriend, I might as well, as long as it's not the bass guitar, I might as well start playing guitar and maybe that'll happen. It did, by the way, someone asked me. Um, (laughs) But I started playing the guitar when I was 15 and this song, Swing Life Away by Rise Against became the song that I would play all the time. Fun, fun side note, we ended up starting, a few of friends and I uh, started a band, a cover band of Rise Against. We played only Rise Against songs. It's worth silence, we did not go far at all, but it was fun. Uh, But this song, again, this would be the song that I'd play all the time. I think every musician has that song. When you pick up a guitar, for me, if I borrow a buddy's guitar, like, hey, let me try that out. Or if I'm at the guitar section at the local guitar center, like, I think a lot of musicians just have the song that they pick up and go to. And for me, it was this song, always this song. I have been singing this lyric since I was 15. Since before I knew Jesus, that if love is a labor, I'll slave till the end. If someone asked you, what should my response be to Jesus? Like, I've been following Jesus for some time, and it's starting to get really complex and confusing, and I'm not not sure, just could you tell me in a sentence or two, what should my response be to Jesus? What should I do in response to who he is? I don't know that there is a better answer than this. Well, you see, Jesus loved me so radically and gave everything he had for me. And so now my desire, it's like love is a labor, and my desire is just to slave till the end. This lyric, this idea exists in the secular. And again, I would say I never noticed this response as being a response to Jesus because I was not looking for God in the secular. I wasn't looking for him there, I did not expect him to be there, but this idea exists in the secular. Our mission statement as a church is giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. It's it's the why behind everything that we do, and I think this is an incredible how we actually do that. How do we make the gospel good news for others? Well, you see, love is a labor, and we just slave away at this labor of love on behalf of others we have been set free from sin and death in Christ. This is the gospel that we want to make good news for others. This freedom that we have, that as followers of Jesus, we believe that the resurrection of Jesus has conquered sin, has conquered death, has given us freedom. But Jesus didn't set us free and give us this freedom just so we could keep it to ourselves and gather and and say, hey, yeah, we're free. Jesus called us out of something, and into something else. I love the way Paul puts it in Galatians. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, what are we supposed to do with this freedom that has been bought for us by Christ? We are to serve one another humbly in love. It's like love is a labor, and we are just supposed to slave away at it for the sake of one another. It's the purpose of our freedom." And Jesus, this is the best part. Jesus says, if we'll actually do this, if we'll live this out, read it with me in John 13. Hopefully you got your spot there. It's verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. That's what makes it a new command. As I have loved you, you must love one another. How did Jesus love people? I mean, sacrificially. He went after them, he taught them, he gave his own needs up on behalf of others. I mean, he healed people, he provided for people, ultimately giving his life for people, sacrificial love, everything that he has. He says, if you love one another, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples. And just in case you missed it, he says it one more time, if you love one another. How will people know that we follow Jesus? It's if we love one another. But sometimes we're more concerned with telling people about Jesus, rather than showing people Jesus with this radical love that he is talking about. It's when we engage in this love, then people will know we follow him. So here's what I wanna do. I want to repeat those three lyrics and I have a question, one question for each lyric that I want to issue to you to challenge you for you to wrestle with this week. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you should write down all three of these questions unless you have an incredible spiritual bandwidth. I think that Jesus is going to invite us into one of these questions, to wrestle with one of these questions, one per lyric. So I'm gonna reread the lyric and then I will put a question on the screen and I would challenge you write one down and wrestle with it this week. The first lyric was, I'll show you mine if you show me yours first. Let's compare scars. I'll tell you whose is worse. My question, is there someone in your life who you need to be vulnerable with? Is, is God bringing to mind someone for you that he is inviting you into deeper relationship with? My, my challenge is to risk transparency with that person. Would you risk being vulnerable and sharing some of your scars, some of what makes you, you? The second uh, lyric was, we get by just fine here on minimum wage. You know, I think today Jesus wants to call some of us out on overconsumption. On discontentment on on needing more and more and more my question is where are you over consuming or discontent as I read through that cycle if that's hitting you I would challenge you very practically look at your income look at your expenses where is it going identify where are you discontent where are you pursuing things and stuff to an unhealthy And the last lyric was, if love is a labor, I'll slave till the end. Before I read the question for this challenge, I want you to think about the people in your life. and The people that you see often, regularly. You know, your family, your friends, your coworkers. For me, it's my my Starbucks barista. Again, moment of vulnerability. My question is, do they know you're a Christian? Like, think about it. I think a lot of us would say, yeah, they they know I'm a a Christian. So (laughs) follow-up question, how? How do they know you're a Christian? Is it because you told them? Is it because they know that you go to church? Or is it because they see the ways in which you radically love people and it just doesn't make sense to them? And so they asked, and then you were like, well, here's why I slave away at this labor of love. It's because of Jesus. Church, I I long for this day, and this is just a dream of mine, that one day people will see someone engage in just a radical, ridiculous, sacrificial act of love that doesn't make any sense, and they're just gonna conclude naturally. The natural assumption is gonna be, oh, that person must follow Jesus, If love is a labor, we slave till the end. Well, hopefully you've got one of these written down, something to wrestle with this week, and I wanna pray for you as you do that. God, I pray for those in this room right now who depth is what you're putting on their heart. God, vulnerability, transparency, sharing scars with someone. And God, I pray that you would would be bringing the people to mind that you want to invite them into deeper relationship with and they would have boldness and courage to go deep, God. That in their community, they would see you and experience you. God, I pray for those in this room that contentment is the word that you're putting on their heart. God, I pray for those in this room who are in the midst of financial crisis. God, would you do what only you can do and that is change our hearts. Give us contentment. God, as we look over our budgets, give us wisdom in areas where we can cut back in order to experience more peace. We wanna see you in our finances and our contentment. And God, I pray for those in this room who love is the challenge that you're placing on their hearts. They want to be known as people who follow you because of the way that they love others? Would you give them wisdom on what that looks like? Would you give them opportunities to step far from their comfort zone and love people in radical ways? And when people see it, God, I pray that they'd wonder what is different about them. Let that be our prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.